back to the Foul Balls podcast for March 13th, 2018. This is the third time Matt and I are trying to start this because the audio keeps cutting out. So hopefully it sounds fine this time. Uh, but 11 game slate, we have a lot of options to choose from. There's some bad games, there's some good games. And I always say this at the top of podcasts that it is a slate that's this big. Don't dig too deep for fringe plays or value when there's 11 games. You can just play the obvious guys. There's not going to be too much ownership on any particular player in a GPP for the most part on an 11-game slate just because there are a lot of players to choose from. So keep that in mind when building lineups tomorrow. The first game on the slate, the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Washington Wizards. The good thing about this game is that both teams have something to play for. They're both competitive teams. They're both fighting for playoff positioning. The Timberwolves are actually just playing for a playoff spot in general right now. So from the Timberwolves side of the game, I think the best target is Carl Anthony Towns at 9,400. It's just a little bit on the cheapish end for him versus what his upside is, averaging close to 50 fantasy points over the last few weeks. So 9,400, I think, is a fine price for him. From the Wizards side of the game, I personally think Bradley Beal is a little bit too expensive, but 6,400 for Otto Porter, I think, is a really good price on him, and Thomas Sadoransky at 5,400. I don't think that he's an unbelievable play, but I think that is a solid play for him. It's very safe because he's been getting a lot of minutes lately. And overall, he's been playing well. And I think he was priced over 6,000 not too long ago, uh, 5,900. So a little bit of pricing value in him at 5,400. Yeah, uh, the audio sounds pretty great for now, by the way. Don't want to jinx it, of course, but. This, this uh, try, I guess, is fine. Um, I actually do like the Wizards-Wolves game a lot. I think a lot of the guys that you mentioned are pretty underpriced, like Towns and Sadoransky and Porter. Jeff Teague's price has come down a bit. He saw a pretty big surge. Uh, I guess it was, I think he had one huge game right after Butler went out and he was priced in the 7,000s. Now he's at 6,600. I don't think he's a bad play. Wiggins also has seen his price fall a little bit. 6,700 might be a little too much for him. But the core of Towns, Sadoransky, and Porter makes sense for game stacks. And then I guess if you're using all of those guys, you might as well throw Beal in there. Um, something we were talking about before we started is that the Wolves are a lot worse against shooting guards since Jimmy Butler got hurt. We were looking a little bit at the uh, DVP numbers. It's kind of hard to say how good they actually are against shooting guards right now because it's only been a sample of, I think, seven or eight games without him. And they have played in a lot of blowouts over that stretch. And it also, the sample size against a specific position, you kind of need a lot of games to see what's really going on there because it doesn't really adjust for the quality of the other team shooting guards that much, especially when you're dealing with blowouts. Um, so I do think it's a plus matchup for Beal also because it's a home game and we've talked a lot about the Wizards' home road splits. It's not the best stack spot of the night, but I think it's probably in the top three. And it doesn't look like there's a ton of value yet we will have a lot of injury updates, though, probably, so maybe it's a little bit of a reach. Um, but at the very least, I think guys like Porter and Towns and Sadoransky are usable. And then if you end up needing to pay up for someone, I think Beal makes sense to have a little bit of exposure to. All right. The next game on the slate here is the Indiana Pacers at the Philadelphia 76ers. Miles Turner's coming off a really big game, but this is a tough individual matchup for him against Embiid. So not really a spot that I'm looking to go. Same issue I have with Oladipo. He's played really well this year. 8,700 is a little bit cheaper than what he's been, but the Sixers' top five defense or so in the league this year. So 
I, I just I, I don't really want to target anybody in this difficult of a matchup. From the Sixers side of the game, I think Joel Embiid is a strong play at 9,300. He had a few bad games in a row and then was actually playing really well against the Nets. He had 21 points and 8 rebounds in 26 minutes, but the Sixers won that game by 23 points, so it was just not very competitive, and that kept Embiid's minutes down. And the games before that, Embiid's minutes were down because he got into foul trouble. So there's going to be a game where he stays out of foul trouble and the game is competitive, and I would assume that it should be this game with the Sixers only favored by six points and Embiid probably not going to get in foul trouble every single game for forever. Yeah, I think Embiid has a lot of upside for this game too. It's a pretty good matchup, and he's just a little too cheap for how good he normally is. It's kind of just been circumstantial that he hasn't been as good recently. A lot of blowouts, so Embiid's a strong play. I think Ben Simmons might be a little bit underpriced now. He was in the 9,000s for a while. Now he's down to at 8,000. I don't think he's as strong of a play as Embiid, but I think he might be worth considering now that his price has fallen this much. Uh, it's not for me. Like, what is his... Let me look at Simmons' game logs. I just, I it is a concern that they acquired so many players around the deadline, and I think his minutes have been a little bit lower since then. His ceiling has also not been that high lately. Like, if you look at his game, so he had, the last time he scored over 46 fantasy points was the 22nd against the Bulls, and I think that was a game that Embiid was out for. And overall, like, he hasn't, he's only had, was it, three games at 47 or more fantasy points since January. So I, I don't, I think that there's just better targets. I think there's guys with higher floors and higher ceilings than Ben Simmons. Yeah, I guess at his current price, you don't need 50 fantasy points from him. You might only need mid-40s. I guess he's someone I would use if a lot of value doesn't open up. There are enough games, though, that I, that I think we will have enough value. I guess it kind of comes down to how many lineups you're making. If you're making a lot of lineups, like 100 or something lineups, like we sometimes do, then I think it makes sense to have Simmons in some. But for just one or five or even 10 entries, he's probably not even on the table. All right. Next game is the Oklahoma City Thunder at the Atlanta Hawks. This is kind of a similar situation that we had the Thunder in tonight because Steven Adams got hurt, so he's questionable again tomorrow. And this is a game that I would assume the Thunder have a pretty decent likelihood of winning by a blowout. The spread for this game is probably going to be not quite as high as the one for Monday night because Monday night was a home game against the Kings were playing on the tail end of a back-to-back. And this is a road game for the Thunder and the Thunder playing on the tail end of a back-to-back. I would still expect them to be favored by, I'd say, eight or so for this game. So I'd say uh, still definitely some blowout risk, but it's not a game that I would say fade due to blowout risk. From the Thunder side of the game, I think that Westbrook and Paul George are both fine guys to pay up for. I think they have a lot of upside. From the Hawks side of the game, the minutes are going to be very difficult to figure out for the rest of the season. So we have Kent Bazemore is out with what's probably a fake injury. He's not going to play again this year. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, it's really hard to count on him for minutes. It's hard for me to say that there's no upside for Schroeder, but I at the same time, I just don't think I'm going to roster him tomorrow outside of maybe if I wanted to make a game stack of this game. But as a standalone play, I don't think I'd want to roster Schroeder. It, it's just so hard to figure out, like, what is his role right now? Because 
if it's kind of a competitive game, it seems like they don't want to play in minutes because they don't want to win. But if it's a blowout, they don't want to play in minutes because it's a blowout. So I do think that there is some upside in guys like Tyler Dorsey and Isaiah Taylor as cheap punt plays because with Bazemore out, those are the guys who figured out to play extra minutes. Yeah, and there probably are other Hawks players who could have big games, but Dorsey and Taylor are definitely the guys who are the most likely to get a lot of minutes. Like, if you told me that some player we've never heard of scored 20 points or 25 fantasy points at min price in this game, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just we really don't know who that's going to be, and I think Taylor and Dorsey are just better bets. Uh, The Hawks are kind of just all over the place with their rotations right now. Torian Prince coming off his massive game is probably a bit overpriced. And then Schroeder, there's just so much unreliability there. It does seem like the only time that he plays a lot of minutes is if the game is close enough where they could win, but they still probably won't win. So I think the Warriors game was the game where he played a lot and they were down somewhere around like 10 points for the whole fourth quarter and they ended up losing by five because they don't want him to play if there's a chance they might accidentally win and they don't play him in blowouts either, like you said. So it's a very narrow set of circumstances where Schroeder actually ends up playing really significant minutes. It's definitely a reach to use him, but I do think there is some upside. So yeah, for game stacks, sure. But if the game's too close, he may not play at the end anyway. Um, He's definitely someone to not have a lot of exposure to, but it's maybe not the worst idea to roster him in a small percentage of lineups. Yeah, I mean, just like I said, it's it's more that just he's so much cheaper than he's been for most of the rest of the season. It's it's just it's hard for me to peg down what the Hawks want to do with him the rest of the year, which is just that's the issue with the last month of the season is that there's incentives for teams to lose basketball games, which is just an issue with how the NBA draft and everything is kind of structured right now. Uh, next game on the slate, the Toronto Raptors at the Brooklyn Nets. From the Raptors' side of the game, I think this is another pretty decent spot for Jonas Valanciunas. The Nets allow more fantasy points to centers than any team allows to any position in the league. Valanciunas at 5,900. There is always some upside for him. And actually, Valanciunas, his last five games, has scored as many as 42 fantasy points. And the least amount of fantasy points he scored is 29. So even though the minutes are generally not huge for him, it's such a good matchup, and we could kind of throw out the blowout risk a little bit because we're not expecting 35 minutes from Valanciunas anyway. If he plays his usual 26 to 28 minutes, he could still have a really good game against the Nets. Valanciunas has done some really crazy things per minute this year. He scores, like, what is it, 30, uh, 26.5 fantasy points in 22 minutes per game this year. So really good per-minute producer. From the net side of the game, um, I don't really think anybody's a particularly terrific play, but D'Angelo Russell at 6,200 I think is a solid play with upside. He's just kind of been a little bit underpriced recently, and he's still been playing really well. He scored, what was it, 37 fantasy points last game. There was a couple games where he got benched in the fourth quarter. He only scored 13 fantasy points against the Hornets and 16 against the Clippers. Those were games he only played around 20 minutes. But his other games against the Kings, Cavs, Warriors, Sixers, where he played his normal amount of minutes, he scored 37 or more fantasy points in all four of those games. So I think a good spot for D'Angelo Russell due to the 6,200 price tag, but not necessarily the matchup. So I don't really think there's a ton of blowout risk here. The Nets haven't gotten blown out at all recently, except for last game against the Sixers. Uh, The spread for this game has already dropped from 10 down to 9 with most of the public betting the Raptors. 
I just think the Nets are a lot better than they've been for most of the year because almost all of their players are healthy. Uh, the one guy who's not Jared Allen is questionable, but everyone else I think is sort of worth considering. I guess, I don't know. It's kind of hard to figure out who's going to be good for the Nets on a given night. I think D'Angelo Russell at 6,200 does make sense. Dinwiddie's 5,500. That's definitely cheap for him where he's been most of the year. But the minutes are so spread around that I don't know if you can really stack the game. I do think it makes sense to have some Nets exposure across the board. Hollis Jefferson's 5,600. That's probably a reasonable price. Um, And then Valanchunas, that makes some sense too. Just looking for the prices on the other Toronto guys. Lowry and DeRozan have been priced up a decent amount, I think. Uh, $7,600 for Lowry, $77 for DeRozan. Probably better to go elsewhere, but I think Valanchunas and some Nets guys make sense. Um, but who would you roster if we find out that Jared Allen isn't playing? Do we, can we really count on anyone in the Nets front court? Like Jaleel Okafor, maybe? Does he get some extra run? Uh, maybe, but probably not. Uh, unless there's some report or something like, hey, the Nets want to give a good look at Jaleel Okafor because they're convinced the last four years of his awful career have been a fluke, so they're going to give him extra minutes with Jared Allen out. Maybe then, but but or else, I think I'd still probably just ignore the situation with Allen out. Yeah, it makes sense, and there probably will just be better spots to target on this slate. All right. Uh, were you going to say something? Nope, that was it. Okay. All right, so the next game is the Dallas Mavericks at the New York Knicks. Oh, boy, this is such a mess of a game. I hate these games where you have two teams that are playing against each other that really don't want to win at all because it really hurts their draft stock if one of them wins a game against the other one. So it's hard to know what that's going to do to the minutes for both these teams. So Dallas, there's nobody who I really think stands out as a particularly great play right now. From the Knicks, I kind of feel the same way. Frank Neokina has been starting, but the Knicks have Courtney Lee back now, so maybe he takes on a bigger role. And then also for the Knicks, we have Ennis Canners currently questionable. Lance Thomas is questionable. The one guy who I think could be a strong value play here is if Ennis Canners out, Luke Cornett is probably going to draw the start. He started in place of Canner last game and ended up playing 34 minutes and scored 29 fantasy points. So his price didn't really move that much. 3300 for Cornette if Canner's out. That's that's one of the better punt plays on the slate. Yeah, I think he would probably be a better play than Kyle O'Quinn. I think O'Quinn would play a decent amount more, but he's priced up to 4700 so that's probably just too expensive. Cornette has more upside for his price. I think there's a lot of downside, too, for Cornette because most games he doesn't really play at all. Well, he started last game with Canner out and played 33 minutes. O'Quinn came off the bench and played 21 minutes. I think we'd have to know that Cornette is starting. If he is confirmed as the starter, though, then I, I do agree he's a pretty strong value play. Yeah, like, I don't see any reason that they would start Kyle O'Quinn over Cornette, though. Like, Cornette's a rookie. Kyle O'Quinn's on an expiring contract. Isn't going to be on the Knicks next year. Yeah, I think it does make sense. And then I also think Frank Neal Aquina, again, for the same reasons we've had the last few slates, is still pretty cheap. He's at 3600 The other Knicks point guards have gotten priced up. So Neal Aquina... Did he start last game too, or he just has been playing a little bit more? No, he started last game. Just the issue I have with Neil Aquina is that Courtney Lee has been out, and he's back now. So Courtney Lee did come off the bench for his first game back, but I I think that there is the possibility that Courtney Lee being back could cut into uh, Frank's minutes just a little bit. 
Yeah, I do also think, though, that if Lance Thomas is out, that there's just one less guy in the rotation, and the Knicks might play some smaller lineups and play more of, I guess, two point guard lineups, which would help the minutes of all of those guys. So the Knicks' injury situation is definitely something to watch. Um, Nerlens Noel is only priced at 3800 Are you going back there? Well, here's the issue, because we did like Nerlens Noel for his last game, but Salah Mejri was out for that game. Mejri's expected to play tomorrow, so that cuts into the minutes of Noel. And even though Noel had a good game when we used him last time, it's not like he played a ton of minutes. Let me see. What was his... Uh, what did he play? He played... He only played 15 minutes against the Rockets. And that was with Mejri out. Yeah, he so was I just really good have, in those 15 minutes. But... I think we might have lucked out a little bit. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I mean, Mejri is questionable to play, so even so, I mean, only 15 minutes. If, if we're going to – I would expect him to only play 15 minutes again if Mejri's out. Yeah, I guess he's not even worth considering at all unless Mejri's out, and even then it's kind of just a marginal play. All right, next game is the Los Angeles Clippers at the Chicago Bulls. From the Clippers' side of the game, DeAndre Jordan's a little pricey now. Tobias Harris's price has gone way up. Lou Williams has gone up. Everybody's just kind of more expensive now. So this is a plus matchup, but there's nobody who I really see a lot of pricing value on. From the Bulls side of the game, uh, Denzel Valentine I think is worth looking at just because he's still kind of cheap. He's not playing like 35 minutes or anything like that, and they do have Justin Holiday active for tomorrow. But with that said, still Valentine at 4,700. For the year, he's scoring 24 fantasy points in 28 minutes. So... That is overall a fair price. His his price is fair for his production on the year, except a game against the Clippers is a really positive matchup. It should be a really high-paced game. So I like Denzel Valentine a little bit. The other thing also is Bobby Portis is expected to start at center with Robin Lopez out again tomorrow. So Portis at 6,500. Tough matchup for him against DeAndre Jordan. But we've seen Portis do really good things per minute. We've also seen him have some just really shit games because he's not a particularly good NBA player. But as a fantasy option, when he gets the minutes, he tends to have a lot of really big games. Yeah, Portis has actually been pretty good this year, offensively at least. He has a PER in the 20s. Like, I think we might be underrating his actual offensive game a little bit. But either way, he's underpriced and playing starting minutes, so it doesn't even matter if he's good or bad. But I do think that he might be less bad than he was last year. Yeah, he's definitely better than he was... uh than he was last year. The Bulls' offense is significantly better with him on the court than off the court. The other other thing I would say about Portis, though, is a lot of his good numbers, he's he's like a garbage-time bully. He really beats up on garbage-time lineups. So it's... I wouldn't look at his full season stats like, oh, he's going to do against DeAndre Jordan what he's been doing against guys on 10-day contracts at the end of the bench. Because... That, at least to me, seems like that's when he's done a lot of his damage. Well, uh, not just garbage time, also against bad teams. Like, last game, he had almost 50 fantasy points against the Hawks. Like, that was certainly a good matchup. I think there is a lot of that. I think he does sort of do better. Like, he has bigger splits against positive matchups than you would normally expect from a player. Obviously, everyone is going to do worse against DeAndre Jordan than they would against, like, Mike Muscala. But I think Portis is more extreme. Um... Having said that, Portis is also really bad defensively. I think it is a downgrade to the Bulls' defense against big men with Robin Lopez out. Not to say Lopez is particularly good, 
but uh, smaller lineups from the Bulls too with Lopez not playing. So maybe DeAndre Jordan is usable. I think the Clippers overall are are definitely overpriced, but I think I would consider DeAndre Jordan along with Portis and Valentine from this game. Okay, the next game here, and this one is going to be a really, should be a really high scoring game. The Charlotte Hornets at the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans are playing at the fastest pace in the league since DeMarcus Cousins got hurt, playing just really up tempo with the basically Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis running the offense and occasionally Rajon Rondo doing whatever the hell it is that Rajon Rondo does when he's on the court. Uh, there was a really funny clip of him the other day that I posted on Twitter. I don't know if people saw because I, I complain about just the nonsense that Rondo does all the time. And people say, like, ah, oh, he's such a good team player because he gets a lot of assists. There was a play. It, it, he gets assists because he hunts for assists. Are you talking there about a, the Etuan Moore play? Is this is this where you're going? Yes. There's, there's a two-on-one where Rondo is a wide-open layup and passes it up to throw the ball to Etuan Moore to take a floater at the buzzer. Rondo passed up an open layup with two seconds left in a quarter. Yeah. And it was just to try to get an assist. Yep. So that, it, that, that's one of the reasons. It's just crap like that. That's why I complain about Rondo all the time, why he's not somebody who's a good NBA player and doesn't help teams win, because he cares way more about his stats than most NBA players do, which was also evidence from the game earlier in the year where he had like 25 assists. And the Pelicans were winning a blowout, and Gentry tried to take him off the floor, and he just refused to come out of the game. So that was something that was entertaining. But uh, past that point, Charlotte Hornets at New Orleans Pelicans. It should be a high-scoring game. From the Hornets side of the game, I think Kemba Walker is a good target. It's funny, actually, because now I think about it, you asked me who who do I think in the 8,000 range has more upside than Ben Simmons or a better play. My answer would be Kemba Walker. I think this is a really good spot for Kemba Walker. He... Uh, is going to be getting defense from Rajon Rondo, who's not a particularly good defender. I think that Walker is a good target here from the Pelican side of the game. I think Anthony Davis is probably the strongest guy to pay up for on the slate. I think you could debate him versus LeBron, and then Westbrook is probably third on that list for me. Uh, but Anthony Davis has just been so ridiculously good lately that I, I think that he is going to be my favorite high-priced stud on the slate. It is a tough matchup against Dwight Howard, and I do kind of worry that Davis has been banged up recently, and there's so much injury risk with him, but I I think I'd be more inclined to fade him if it were a shorter slate where he might have really high ownership. Like, he could be 30% owned on this slate, but that's that's not extreme enough where you have to fade him for that alone. Like, I think if this were a three- or four-game slate and he were, he was going to be 50 or 60% owned, then it would be more of a conversation. Um... Davis also might just be too good for Dwight Howard's defense. Like, Davis can shoot threes, he's really fast and athletic, and Howard's a good defender, but mostly around the rim, and Davis definitely can shoot jump shots. So I I don't even know if it's that bad of a spot for him. And he is kind of cheap. I think, I think he is a really strong play. I guess I don't know if I think he's better than LeBron to pay up for, but he's he's in the conversation, and then I, I agree with you on Kemba Walker. I think the Hornets are in a really good spot, but Dwight Howard is a little pricey. I think Kemba is the guy from the Hornets that makes the most sense. I'm not really sure if there's anyone else from that team to roster. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that. The other issue with, with Dwight has just been, as we've said before, the, the minutes just aren't really there for him lately, so... That's a bit of a concern. Cody price. Zeller is doubtful for this game, by the way. So I think that if he's not playing, that does help Howard a little bit. Hernan, we've seen Zeller out recently, though. Hernan Gomez just takes those minutes. Now, earlier in the year, 
when we were targeting Dwight in that situation, they only really had two centers on the roster, but they traded for Hernan Gomez from the Knicks at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's uh, I guess he sort of just played Cody Zeller's role when Zeller is out. Um, and then one price that just kind of jumps out is way too high right now. Nick Batum is up to 7,100. I know he's had a, a lot of pretty big games recently, but even in a plus matchup, I think that that's way too expensive. So this game is a 230-point total. I don't really think it's stackable. I just think that Davis and Walker are the strong plays, and that's probably it. Okay, the next game on the slate here, the Orlando Magic at the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, tough matchup for the Magic, and then we also have Aaron Gordon questionable with the concussion. He missed the last couple games. We saw extra production for Jonathan Simmons and Mario Hazonia with Gordon out of the lineup. Uh, Vucevic was really good last game. He struggled in one of the other games without Gordon. Uh, hard to really draw any conclusions here with Gordon questionable. The Magic side of the game is 100% a fade for me if Gordon is active. And then I, I would kind of have to think about it if Gordon's out. From the Spurs side of the game, we have LaMarcus Aldridge questionable. So if he isn't able to play, then it's a bump for guys like DeJounte Murray and Pau Gasol. I think Pau Gasol at 6,500 would be a pretty interesting target. He came off a really shitty game against the Rockets tonight, except that game was also a massive blowout. Like, it was one-sided to the game where Popovich called a timeout and took the starters out three minutes into the game, and Gasol ended up playing 14 minutes. If Aldridge is out tomorrow, I would almost guarantee that Gasol plays more than the 14 minutes that he played on Monday night. Yeah, I think the Spurs starters would be pretty strong targets without Aldridge. I don't know how much of this you'd consider, but the Spurs have lost two games in a row now. It's at least two games in a row. They lost to the Thunder and the Rockets the last two times. They fall into 10th in the West. Yeah, so this game matters for them. Like they need Everything to matters for them. But th- they're um, they're more in the playoff race than some of these other Western Conference teams because they're right on the playoff bubble now, and they have kind of just no security anymore. I guess yeah, they're out of the eight seed, so it matters a lot. Uh, we we're not going to see any rest from them anymore. I think at least if, unless guys are kind of banged up. So maybe Aldridge does play because the importance of the game. But if he doesn't, I think Gasol could play a lot in this game. I think Murray could play a lot because the Spurs, I won't call it must-win territory because I don't even I don't really know what that means anyway. But when games matter more, I guess we've seen starters play more minutes unless the coach is really angry at them for some reason, like Popovich was on Monday night. But I don't I don't think that'll happen Tuesday again. So if if there's no Aldridge, Murray, and Gasol, I agree with you, are strong plays. Um, I don't really know if there's anyone else from the Spurs, though, to consider. I mean, Danny Green and Manu Ginobili are semi-cheap, but there's just not a lot of upside for those guys. And Kyle Anderson at 5,700 doesn't have a ton of upside either. This is a big enough slate where there are going to be better cheap value plays. So I think just sticking to the two top guys on the Spurs outside of Aldridge makes some sense. All right. The next game here is the Detroit Pistons at the Utah Jazz. Really tough matchup for the Pistons. I wonder if people might feel inclined to pay up for Andre Drummond just because he had such a big game the last time they played against the Jazz. It was also an overtime game, so that benefited Drummond a lot. Uh, I I think that it's always a negative EV move to target big men against Rudy Gobert. I know that we saw Drummond do it once, but that was also Gobert right back from injury. Still had a minutes restriction at that time. I'm fine with fading all the Pistons. They have a ton of guys who are questionable. I, I don't really care. I don't like to play teams that are playing in Utah. From the Utah side of the game, 
Rudy Gobert, I think, is playable at 7,800. That's just a bit cheaper than what he's kind of been recently, and he's been playing ridiculously well. Gobert's actually scored 45 or more fantasy points in five of his last six games. So 7,800 in what's really not that tough of a matchup against Andre Drummond. People think of him as a really good defender because he can block shots. Not really the case. He's not a great defensive player, and I think Rudy Gobert is a fine play at 7,800. Yeah, definitely, definitely have interest in Gobert. And then I guess Rubio for correlation. He's been really good lately, and his price still hasn't come up that much. The Pistons are just bad defensively overall, and Rubio's at 6,800. I think there was a while where he was in the 7,000s, and then Mitchell came back. But even with Donovan Mitchell playing, Rubio has just been really good recently. So I think the correlation of Rubio and Gobert makes sense kind of as always. I think I, I would lean towards Gobert, but both guys are in play. And then the only Pistons I would consider, I guess we can't really say who it is yet. Um, if any of, I guess if any two of those three wing players between Dwight Bikes and uh, Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock, if two of them are out in one plays, I think there's enough value to use one of them, especially if it's Stanley Johnson. Like if we're going to get 40 minutes from Stanley Johnson at 4,000, the matchup doesn't really matter. Like I still think he would be a really strong play if he's in and one or two other guys are out. Uh, I don't know. I, I still just don't think I would roster him in Utah. Um, it's actually funny because there was a game last year. I have to look through his game log, but I think I remember, this isn't the reason I wouldn't roster him, but off the top of my head, I think there was a game last year where he played over 40 minutes against the Jazz and scored zero fantasy points. I know he did it once, or I don't know if it was against the Jazz. I know he did do that earlier this year where he played a game of like close to 40 minutes and I think had like one fantasy point. He's certainly capable of that, but yeah, I don't know. I I guess I think it's a good bet to take someone who's playing 40 minutes at $4,000 salary. I, I also don't think he's going to play 40 minutes, though. Yeah, I guess it would. if Reggie Bullock and Dwight Bikes are out, well, I guess Bikes doesn't matter as much. If Reggie Bullock's out, how much do you think Stanley Johnson plays? Like 26 to 28 minutes. I mean, they still have Luke Kennard. Oh, and James Ennis is on the team, too. Well. James Ennis has been playing a lot of minutes and been playing pretty well. Anthony Tolliver would play some minutes. I, I like. I don't see forty minutes for Stanley Johnson, and it's it's still a tough matchup. Yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about James Ennis. I mean, maybe in thirty five minutes, I'd still play him. But yeah, it doesn't even really seem like he'd get that many. So I don't know. He he might just be a fringe play anyway. All right. The next game on the slate is the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Phoenix Suns. For the Cavs, we have Rodney Hood is out for the second consecutive game with a back injury. I think LeBron, very good target to pay up for in a good matchup against the Suns. If I'm only making one lineup and I'm choosing between LeBron or Anthony Davis, I still lean Anthony Davis, but that doesn't mean that I dislike LeBron James at all. Uh, Let's see, with Rodney Hood out, what did the minutes... It's also hard to really read too much into the minutes from last game because the Cavs got blown out and were just playing a garbage unit at the end. Uh, I think... Jeff Green at 3,900 is in play, assuming he starts again, because he started last game, and I would think he sticks in the starting lineup. So if starting, I think 3,900 is a good price for Jeff Green. There should be extra minutes for Jordan Clarkson and Kyle Korver, so they're good plays in a plus matchup. From the Sun side of the game, I definitely think you could uh, pair a couple of those Cavs guys with uh, Devin Booker, I think, is upside in a plus matchup. Alfred Payton, TJ Warren. 
Uh, I think all three of those guys are fine plays for this slate. So it's kind of hard to determine how much blowout risk there is here. The Cavs are actually only seven-point favorites in Phoenix. So by that alone, it's not a lot of blowout risk. And the Cavs just, they're not that good, even with the trades they've made. And Rodney Hood is one of the most important players they acquired. I guess it would be him and George Hill. And they they still aren't a great team overall. It's kind of just LeBron and a bunch of okay players. So to expect them to blow out anybody on the road, I think is a little bit foolish. But teams like the Suns and I guess some of these other tanking teams, there seems to be a lot of variance in their performance. Like as seven-point underdogs, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the game outright. And I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they lost the game by 20 or 30 points. It just seems like their results are all over the place. So with all of that in mind, I think it makes more sense to use LeBron sort of only if you're including some Phoenix players. I mean, he could have a big game and no one on the Suns does well, but it's a strong matchup for the Phoenix side anyway. So I don't think I would use LeBron without using at least one of Alfred Payton, Devin Booker, or TJ Warren in the lineup. I guess maybe Josh Jackson, but he's probably overpriced with everyone everyone else healthy. Jackson's at 5,900. So yeah, one of those first three guys, definitely. Um, but I think Jeff Green, if he's starting, is a good value play regardless. And then I guess Clarkson is a good play. George Hill's price is up a little bit. Um, I guess he, yeah, he's okay at 5,100, I guess, but LeBron and then maybe Jeff Green, I think would be the stronger guys. Yeah, definitely. Jeff Green, I think would be the value guy if he starts, because we saw that last game. And then once again, don't read too much into the minutes from the last one because the Cavs just got smashed by the Lakers. I also think, um, Larry Nance is at 7,000. I don't really think that's too expensive. He was a little bit more expensive than that for a couple games. I think he was 7,100 last game, but this is such a strong matchup. Um, if you're game stacking in any way, I do think it makes sense to include Nance because the Cavs don't really have other big men. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would definitely be fine with Nance also. Uh, he wouldn't be like the primary target outside of game stacks, but he definitely makes sense with LeBron because they do seem to correlate really well. Um, yeah, I'm on board with that. I guess it's it's a hard slate because we don't know how much value... Well, it's a hard slate to figure out at this point because we don't know how much value there is yet. I think it does make sense to game stack a lot because there are a lot of players that we have to worry about correlations with, with the blowout risk, kind of more so than usual. And especially with some of these teams that are tanking where like guys are only playing if the game is close. And even on bad teams, some guys just aren't playing in garbage time at all. The Suns have been all over the place with their minutes too. So maybe even though this is 11 games, I think it does make sense to game stack a little bit, especially with this Cavs game because there there is a lot of strong value. Both teams are pretty bad defensively and that's why the over-under is I think it's about 230 points right now okay final game on the slate the Denver Nuggets at the LA Lakers this is another good game to target I think that Nikola Jokic at only 9,000 that seems just too low for him and what's overall a pretty solid matchup I I like Jokic a lot tomorrow night I think Paul Millsap at 6,400 is in play Gary Harris is a pretty good play uh Jamal Murray's even okay from the Lakers side of the game, I think that Julius Randle is probably fade for me. Uh, yeah, eight thousand. It's it's a little bit too expensive for Randle. I think people might want to look to roster him just because of how good he was last game. But the price tag a little bit too much for me. Lonzo Ball is a good play. Uh, Kyle Kuzma is a good play. Brooke Lopez is a really strong play. The I think the minutes are here to stay for Lopez. If you look at the last few games. 33 minutes, 32, 35. He's playing really well. 
And I just don't see any reason with the Lakers as banged up as they are that his minutes are going to go down. Uh, same thing goes for KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He's playing like 40 minutes every game. I don't know why, but one of the Lakers' rules is it doesn't matter how much we win or lose by Contavious Caldwell-Pope is playing the entire game. We saw that last game. The Lakers took out most of their starters. The Cavs took out most of their starters. Caldwell-Pope was still in there at the end of the game, and he got his 40 minutes. So he's a very safe play because – it's hard to really put up too much of a shitty game when you're playing that many minutes, and he kind of produces okay per minute as well. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I guess I'm usually a little bit against stacking the game with the highest total on the slate, especially when there's line movement towards the under. Uh, the totals drop from 232.5 down to 231, so not that significant. I do think the Lakers are playing a little bit lower scoring games with Brooke Lopez getting so many minutes because he actually is good defensively despite having pretty low rebound totals throughout his career. Um, he's a much better real-life player than I think anyone gives him credit for. Um, but with all of that, the prices are just too cheap for just about everybody in this game. So even though I think the overall point total should be a little lower than I think most people would say, the, the prices are reasonable enough that it still makes sense to stack. And Jokic at 9000 is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, he has as much upside as anybody. You could even argue he should be priced closer to what LeBron and Anthony Davis cost. He was at that before Millsap came back, and there was a little bit of that grace period, I guess, where Jokic and Millsap didn't really mesh well together, but they they seem to be fine now, so I'm not really concerned about Jokic at all. And then, yeah, the Lakers starters are playing so many minutes that I think all of them, except for maybe Randall, are in play. Um, but I would still include Randall in some game stacks. He just, yeah, he, he is pretty far from a primary target, I think, for both of us. Okay, so that is going to finish the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back for Wednesday's Smaller Slates.